0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, I am having a mental breakdown from planning for my wedding. It is Wednesday, uh, August 21st. I get married in three days. I am on vacation from work right now but decided to take some time to record my big 23 and under list that I do every year breaking down all the prospects in the NBA uh, that are 1996 birth dates or later and we will discuss uh, who that affects particularly in terms of birth date later on but to do that I've got Cole's wicker with me Cole how you doing man
1: I'm doing good. Um, Congratulations on the almost wedding. I am about to disappear just like you are as an accomplice to this list.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Put it this way. uh, I've had such a day today already. Like my family is in town. Laura's family's in town. So we have a million things to do. It is 1135 in the morning. And uh, let's just go on ahead and open up that white claw at 1135 in the morning. That's that's where we're at today, Cole. (laughs)
1: Uh, that's a tremendous flex. So. <laughs> that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to talk about Carmelo Anthony really quickly at the top, just because I think that it's interesting to discuss his situation in the context of these young players that we're going to discuss here, right? Like it might not seem necessarily like it fits but, I think it does in the way that we talk about the development of young players additionally, so Royce White yesterday came out and discussed uh how the Lakers signed Jared Dudley, but LeBron couldn't do his guy Carmelo Anthony Solid by signing him, and you're crazy if you think Jared Dudley is a better basketball player than Carmelo Anthony I mean first and foremost, like I don't know why Jared Dudley is the one who's like held up like Jared is definitely an n b a player Uh, that, That part of it was weird. But second, I personally, for the role that the Lakers will be having this player play, I personally would rather have Jared Dudley. And I'll explain why in a second. So I'll just pose this question to you, Cole. Which one would you rather have?
1: I mean, in most contexts, it would be Jared Dudley at this point in his career just because Jared's going to fit into a team construct, especially as a team defender, make good decisions, shoot the ball. It's all about role right now. Like if Carmelo was at his peak You would say Carmelo because, I mean, his shot-making ability was, I I think, pretty underrated. I mean, now it's easy to kill Carmelo because of the defense late in his career. He was never a solid defender. But I do think his shot-making at his speak was really good. But that's not what this conversation is about. It's about how you fit into a team construct, And that's where Jared, you just trust him a lot more in his role than you do Carmelo, who at this point is going to be, you have to run offense through him, and he's going to take a lot off the table defensively. We saw that at Houston. They couldn't orchestrate their switching scheme because he can't guard anybody in space anymore. So it's Jared Dudley for me
0: so I think that this gets into a wider discussion of guys who need the ball in their hand and just how quickly you get diminishing returns when a guy drops off just even a little bit like the drop-off doesn't have to be substantial like a guy can still get to a pull-up game and knock down shots from 17 to 22 feet at a 44% clip. But if you combine that with the fact that he is shooting 33% from three and can't really get to the rim and draw fouls and finish efficiently at the basket anymore, whenever he's contested, that's where you really start to run into problems, especially whenever you are going to have guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis who demand the ball to the extent that they do. And additionally, like you already have Rashawn Rondo on this team who's going to demand the ball a crazy amount. You already have guys who are going to need the ball. I just think that we don't discuss often enough how steep the slope is whenever you talk about ball-dominant guys and how good they are realistically and how much they actually affect winning.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And this is something that we need to discuss more often, both in terms of in the league and in draft discussion. It's just a very high threshold, especially when you're taking so much other stuff off the table. Like if Carmelo could defend, obviously he would be a much more agreeable fit on this Lakers roster. But what you have to do in order to, you know, get him into a part of the offense as far as featuring him at a greater extent. what is the value of that compared to what he's taking off the table in other respects, like Kyle Kuzma can do right now a lot of the things that Carmelo can do. It's right. just like that role is not going to be as valuable at this point in his career
0: right that's a hundred percent right. Um, when you look at what Jared Dudley brings to the table. Jared's a much better defender He's a much better team defender He is a better catch-and-shoot guy Because he just takes shots immediately Like Carmelo Anthony has this tendency To hold the ball and create a contested yep. look Whereas Jared will just pull immediately And knock down shots uh, I also think Jared's just a better Quick decision maker and passer Than Carmelo Anthony is And while I honestly would bet you That Carmelo Anthony would beat Jared Dudley Like 11-5 to 5, in a pickup game that they played, right? Like, it probably wouldn't be that close if they played one-on-one. Like I think Melo would probably beat him pretty handily. Uh, if you were just doing a pickup game five-on-five, five, I would probably pick Carmelo Anthony over Jared Dudley. But in the concept, in the construct of the NBA, whenever you need guys to fit specific roles, Jared Dudley is a better player at fitting this specific role on the Lakers than Carmelo Anthony would be. I just think that's kind of the end of the story here, right?
1: yeah that's I mean that's where I come at it as and I think if you know if Carmelo was still like his peak prime athletic self and he was always more of like a catch and hold like you said one or two dribble pull up guy like that's what made him so unstoppable is he could get to that pull up any time. but he still got to the rim and the foul line more if he was still that kind of athlete and he could really get to the rim then maybe you can make an argument at least to a greater extent but now you're really looking at him more as a catch and shoot guy a catch and hold guy maybe some isolation one two dribble pull up stuff and Again, we saw that with the Rockets. Like, it's just not going to be worth it um, when, you, when you take into account all of the rest of the negatives of his game. And Jared just fills a much easier role as a catch-and-shoot guy and then filling that, you know, space defense gap. What, what the Lakers really needed, they need a ball handler who can really initiate offense and get to the rim. Someone other than LeBron, that's what they need. And Carmelo's not that guy.
0: Yeah, totally agree with that. So let's get into our top 25 players who are 23 and under list. So the first thing that I will just note here is that contracts – so first and foremost, I guess I should say this is my list, not your list. And I talked about it with Cole ahead of time, but ultimately this is my list, and it comes from talking to NBA executives, and it comes from just knowing the NBA as I know it and believing – the things that I do about where the NBA is going in terms of perimeter players being incredibly important uh, and big men being valuable. And I think that you'll see that there are more big men on this list than there were this time a year ago. But I think that it's just very important to note that a, this is my list and b it kind of, Tries to project impact, not necessarily where a guy is right now. Uh, it tries to project long term career value.
1: Yeah. And that's really important to note Up is like some of these guys right now, like if, if you get to 17 or you know 16 on your list, Larry Martin is a better player than a lot of and at least some of the guys ahead of him. But it's about yeah. projection. You're, you're, tr- you're looking down the road and saying who's going to have the greatest impact. So that's important with these lists is everybody wants to say, oh, this guy's never played in the NBA before. Like, he, like, I'm not going to spoil the, the lead here as far as Zion goes. But it's about looking forward and saying who I think is going to have the most impact in the
0: future. Yeah, every year I get the complaint of, oh, my God, this guy never played in the NBA. How do you have him this high? How do you have Trey Young at 25 last year? Well, Trey Young made a pretty substantial jump up this list this year. Same with Luka Doncic made a pretty real jump up this list. DeAndre Ayton uh, stayed pretty similar on this thing last year. Marvin Bagley moved up this year. Uh, I think that – did I have Jaron Jackson last year? I did have Jaron Jackson last year, and he uh, moved up a few spots. So – I would not just come at this and say, oh my God, this guy's never played in the NBA. Assume that Cole and I have uh, watched, what, like well over a thousand minutes of all of these guys entering the NBA and have uh, seen quite a bit of action and can kind of project their games a little bit going forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, you might disagree with the opinions on here, but they're at least backed on watching a lot of film and then what our core beliefs are as far as players. Like last year, I didn't make a list. I didn't make a list this year. I have all like chime in with my insights, but I would have had Luka number one last year, and that would have pissed so many people off. And I held off because it's like, what are you really supposed to do with that? It's about what I think the player is going to be, and a lot of people would have reacted negatively to that because he's never played in the league before. So I think it's just important to take into account that you're right. It is well-researched have the background it doesn't matter i mean if you disagree you can disagree there's there's going to be a lot of gray area a lot of it gets kind of flatted areas you can argue some of these players over the other ones it's just some of this is going to be based on personal philosophy as well
0: right for sure and i had luca at nine last year and people yelled at me like people were angry <laughs> about the fact that i had luca that high so you would have you would have caused some murdering in the streets i believe cole um i tend, I tend to have that effect <laughs> So a couple of other quick things in terms of guys that have graduated from this list and are not eligible. Carl Anthony Towns uh, is a 1995 birthday. These are guys who were born 1996 or later. Christoph Porzingis has graduated. Nikola Jokic has graduated. Last year, people yelled at me because I had Porzingis ahead of Jokic. Uh, I was wrong on that. I will just, Full on say that that was clearly uh, incorrect, given where Nikola Jokic is offensively and how he has made some strides defensively. I am still very high on Christoph Sporzingis. Uh, He would still feature well into the top 10 of this list. Realistically, probably in like the five or six range. Um, But Nikola Jokic would probably be one or two, I would say.
1: Yeah, definitely fair. I mean, Jokic has really proven himself offensively as an engine of an offense. And we don't know Porzingis' injury, his status right now. And I just think Jokic is a little bit safer as far as his offensive acumen. Porzingis is a better rim protector. But I do think value-wise, it's hard to go Porzingis over Jokic in that argument.
0: Yeah, Um Andrew Wiggins has graduated Kyle Kuzma has graduated from this list Lakers fans, do not yell at me Kyle Kuzma does not (laughs) qualify for this list Uh, Giannis is not eligible I should just mention that Um, Aaron Gordon was on here last year He has graduated A few guys that have fallen off as well Uh, We've got Josh Jackson Dennis Smith has fallen off uh, And Markel Fultz has fallen off as well So that, uh That 2017 draft just keeps paying dividends, doesn't it, Cole?
1: Oh, man. It's really brutal. I really hope Markel comes back. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Definitely fair omissions.
0: So let's talk about some guys that were close-ish. So we went out to like 40 or so of guys that were considered. Or, you know, I shot Cole some names. We discussed back and forth. Um Miles Bridges was on here. DeAndre Hunter was on here, because I'm pretty high on Hunter. Uh, DeJounte Murray, we ultimately, or I ultimately decided to bump off just because I want to see how he comes back from the injury. I think it would be defensible to have him at the end of this list if you really believe that uh, his knee injury is going to be fine. Uh, Dennis Smith, I still did consider for this list. Josh Jackson, I did not consider. Uh, Mikhail Bridges is a guy that I considered. Landry Shamit is a guy that... Got some pretty real consideration as well. Uh, any of those guys, like, really stand out to you is worth discussing at all.
1: I think Mikhail, for me personally, I, this is a fair rank, honestly, based on what we've seen last year, but I would expect a shooting bump this season. He shot under 34% from three. He's a better shooter than that. I mean, this is a guy with a crazy touch. He was, if you looked at him statistically in college, he was like the only guy, when you consider three-point attempt rate, volume, percentage from three, he was like in the realm of Kyle Korver. Obviously, he's not that good of a shooter, but like he's going to, I think you're going to see an uptick. I think he's going to be more of a 38% shooter. He's someone who keeps tinkering with his Release speed and that really hurt. I thought his consistency last year. I think he was the worst corner three point shooter in the league. He's just he's better than that. So I, I expect some positive regression there.
0: Yeah, it was very weird seeing him uh, go through all of those shooting mechanic just changes throughout the year uh maybe long term it'll help him because he will really quicken up his release that was the one thing coming out of villanova that i did have some concerns about was just that it could be something of a long release because he brought it from his waist up to his you know head and he has those long arms so it takes a little bit longer for things to load and get into a you know mechanical position where they really work well together uh The fact that he's tinkering with this is good, but the results just haven't quite been there. And I hope that eventually they do get to where uh, he is able to knock down shots the way he did in college. But until we see that more, I think it's hard to put him in the top 25 here.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like he has that exaggerated left shot line. I did feel like his yeah. release it's high enough where he can just shoot over guys. So even if it's a touch low, ba- I mean, touch slow based on that exaggerated left uh, shot line, I-, I feel like that's going to correct itself over time. But he has to prove it. Like I think the the rest of his game, as far as decision making, making winning plays, is there. But you have to see the shooting manifest because he absolutely has to shoot.
0: Uh, Jonathan Isaac is another guy that got some consideration here. I still am a very high level believer in his defensive ability. Uh, Ultimately, we just haven't seen enough growth offensively to where I felt like I could put him in the top 25 here.
1: Yeah, he added a lot of strength. If you saw him off season play, like he looks much bigger, you know, playing the FIBA scrimmage and whatnot. Like I barely recognized him with his frame now. Yeah. And defensively, he's fantastic. But offensively, is is the shot going to come around? Not like the mechanics, a lot of lower body input. Like I've never been a huge believer in the jump shot, and I think that's where it comes down to. He's going to have to shoot because he's not a dynamic creator for himself. He can dribble a little bit, but that's more of like a center skill for him. Like is he going to play some five? I don't know yet. But I, I think it's fair to have him a little bit lower. If he shot the ball well, I would move him up substantially. That That's just a huge swing skill for him. Uh,
0: Colin Sexton was a guy that I think I'm higher on Colin than a lot of people are. I think for most people, they would look at this list and say there's no way Colin belongs on here, even though he had uh, a pretty solid statistical rookie season, especially if you look at the second half of his season. Um, I'm very interested in the fit with Darius Garland. I don't really love it, to be honest. So I think that I may have slightly downgraded him a little bit for that. Uh, He also really just needs to become a volume three-point pull-up shooter uh, to become efficient at the highest levels. And we just don't know enough about that skill yet, I don't think.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And I think he actually shot the ball from three on pull-ups. I think he was the best of the rookie class last year. He was like 38%. He was really good there. So I think that's a low-key skill. That's both a plus and a minus considering his value. That was already factored into his value last year. I I agree with you. He did improve as the year went on. He closed the year strong more as a scorer. Very interesting fit next to Garland. How much, who's going to be like the de facto lead guard, I guess I would say. Like that's Sexton's biggest issue is when you look at lead guards, you're looking basically at can you create for yourself and can you create for others and creating for others and really understanding how to play basketball making reads has always been something that sexton struggled with and i kind of want him to get the repetition if you're really buying him there you want to see him get more repetition as a pick and roll guy and as, how much is garland going to eat into that
0: yeah and colin's a super super hard worker as well so you would like to think that he can pick that up but some people just genuinely do believe that that is a skill that is innate versus It being learned so uh, I'm you know like I said like I think some people consider him uh, not necessarily a non-shooter but a guy who isn't you know super high level at it I do think he's gonna shoot like a pretty reasonable clip Uh, I do want to see more of the pull-up three-point stuff but uh, you know like he only took 3.6 three-point attempts a game last year like that needs to be up around like five or six I think for him to be like totally effective but I'm intrigued. Like, I I think that he was probably within the next two or three for me in terms of this list. Yeah, and
1: I'm a little bit lower just because, again, you touched on that feel and that being innate. Like, he's never going to be Trey Young as a creator. Right. But the question is, can't he be a dynamic enough pull-up guy? And like you said, the, I think the pull-up three was good. But early in the season especially, he was taking a lot of mid-rangers. And I think he pushed that out. And we saw it. I think he's going to be able to shoot. The question is, how dynamic, how deep of range, how much does he warp the defense? All of those questions are built in. Because I think we can all agree he's going to have to be more of a score-first guard where he's drawing two guys. And that's how he you know, becomes a better passer.
0: So I wanted to save this group of four big men for last because they're all pretty different, but they all, I think, could very easily have fit into the 25th spot on this list where another big man sits. Uh, Mo Bamba, Damana Sabonis, Jarrett Allen, Mitchell Robinson. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, I think, either him or Mo Bamba was probably twenty-six. Which one would you rather have long term? Would you rather have Mitchell Robinson or Mo Bamba?
1: Uh, that's really tough just because Bomba's rookie year was really poor I do believe in Bomba's shooting but I think Mitch Robinson his defensive upside is just considerable but I'm not sure how likely it is that he reaches that but I think I have to lean Mitch just based on rookie year performance to even though I was higher on Bomba as a prospect just because I value the shooting and the rim protection and that stuff but Mitchell the way he moves defensively at times obviously we've talked about the technique being poor but if he irons out the technique and he he can really understand how to use his hands not foul as much he really has you know all defensive first team physical tools and movement skills and that's something that is overstated for a lot of prospects you say oh he's physically talented he can be you know an elite defender but Mitchell's shown that he actually has those tools to be that
0: no yeah he's a super elite athlete for his size like he is probably 95th percentile athlete like I don't know if I would go as high as 99th but I would say he is like 95th percentile athlete for a guy who's seven foot with long arms and has that like innate sense of timing. He's still like, there is still some fluidity stuff where Uh, He doesn't know where his limbs are in relation to his body, it seems like, sometimes. And just, like, how far he's, you know, pushing his arms forward when trying to contest a shot at the basket. Or doesn't really know where his lower body is. And he'll, like, sometimes bring his legs and, like, knees forward into a guy's body and get called for a foul that way. Uh, Fouling is ultimately the thing that worries me most with Mitchell Robinson. If we were doing this list based purely off of ceiling He would probably be in the top 20 or so, but I just was a little bit concerned about uh, the simplicity of his offensive game in addition to uh, the fact that I'm worried about him turning into like a 20 to 25 minute a game player due to the foul trouble.
1: It's really about technique for me, you know, like the arm usage he doesn't have a great sense of verticality. He extends his arms way too much for fouls. And in space, he really has to use his hands better, not just arm bar or grab guys. And I think technique wise he lets guys get past him. But what I like about him is he's one of the few bigs that are his age who really are you know heavy hitters as far as recovery blocks. So even if he gets beat, he can block from behind. That's something that yeah. Wendell Carter can't do. He hasn't established himself there. So I think Mitchell's margin for error is just so high. If he can the Knicks should just hire like a technical defensive big coach and just literally work with with this guy about hand usage arm usage as a rim protector because the, the physical talent is there but I, I think again some people are a little bit higher on his defensive upside I, I i think the ceiling is there i just don't know about the likelihood i will say offensively his most underrated skill is his ability to finish around the rim on non-dunks like he actually yeah. is pretty coordinated he has decent cut touch he can extend with either hand he, i've even seen him finish some right hand shots so he's not just he has to dunk everything and i think that's important to note like he can actually finish a little bit off of like a short roll one dribble like extension layup.
0: Uh, Demonis Savonis not being on this list, I think will probably anger some Indiana Pacers fans. <laughs> I do get why. Uh, he averaged 14 points, nine rebounds, three assists a game last year. He is remarkably efficient, but. I do worry about the defensive position long term and if his role is going to be best suited to a 25 minute a game sixth man who can help initiate offense from the perimeter, but also struggles a little bit uh, to hold down the defensive fort in the way that you need a center to do so in the NBA, especially as a rim protector.
1: He's kind of a classic example of someone who's very good at what he does. He's ultra productive, but you ask about the impact to winning, and in the right role, absolutely. If he's your third big, for example, like sign me up, depending on the cost, of course, but he's very good. Like His dribble handoff game, he's very skilled, good screen, rescreen guy, and he's great on the boards, but is he going to protect the rim at the five? How well is he going to be able to guard in space at the four? Like I'm always about defense for bigs, and I don't think he meets... I mean, he's not terrible. Obviously, he has strength. He has some movement skills, but again, I I just don't think the, the rim protection value there's nothing he does that i really value at the highest level like he's not going to space the floor credibly is like a stretch four type like oklahoma city tried that he's more of like a five offensively and a four defensively
0: yeah and there are ways around that like you basically have to have a serge Ibaka type to play next to him uh where yep. serge was super athletic could block shots from the weak side and could knock down shots from the perimeter Miles Turner's interesting, but I don't know if he meets the athletic threshold there is a pairing to make that work. Like, I think that they have a chance to kind of get sliced and diced a little bit uh, defensively by putting those two together on the floor, which I guess is kind of the idea that they're going to try and go down this year.
1: Yeah, I'm very curious to see how that works. Again, Turner really improved his movement skills in my opinion. Like he, he took a step forward last year, and I thought that was a big part of his defensive acumen. That step forward is like he just moved better in space. Like the gate issues, it seems like he ironed those out a little bit more. He's still not the most mm-hmm. fluid, like you said. He's not probably a prima baca, but he was better than what he was like his first two years in the league, for example. So I'm just curious to see how it plays out. I'm a little skeptical, but I'm willing to, to wait and see. Like Turner has made the requisite progressions to where I think it might be possible, even though I'm skeptical.
0: Yeah, like I think it's worth them going down the road and seeing if it's a possible outcome, but for reference, Miles Turner last year contested 7.6 shots per game at the basket, which is a ridiculously high number. Uh, And allowed a percentage of 55.5, which is well above average. Tavana Sabonis last year uh, allowed a percentage at the rim of 62.4 when contesting at the basket, uh, which is, you know, probably three or four percent below average, probably three percent below average uh, of what you would expect a guy to score there. So, yeah, uh, I'm. I understand why Pacers fans will be angry with him not being on the list. I think that he would have been a totally reasonable guy to have at 25. Ultimately, I went in a different direction. And the last guy here is Jared Allen. Uh, With Jared, the defensive ability is interesting. He's certainly a terrific shot blocker, a good rim protector. I would just like to see him become a bit more well-rounded offensively.
1: I think the strength issue with him also concerns me. Not the biggest frame. He kind of gets bodied a little bit. I'm a little lower on Jarrett than consensus. I know like a lot of people are pretty damn high on him. I, I don't really see like necessarily the upside with him. I do agree some of the shot blocking is fantastic. I, I just wish his frame was a little bit I wish he was stronger. If he was stronger and he could really anchor better, I I would be higher on him. And I I just don't see the offensive upside either. Like he has shown ability to stretch a little bit, but I think right now he's more of a fake shooter. Like if he was a real shooter, then I would probably bump him up.
0: Yeah. The difference between him and Miles Turner, they're actually pretty similar. I think as rim protectors, to be honest, Um, you know, you look at the numbers last year, Miles Turner was 55, five Jared Allen was actually 55, one in defensive uh, field goal percentage against at the basket last year. But I think he moves actually a little bit worse than Miles Turner does now, which is surprising to say given where Miles came into the league at. I think Miles is a little bit better of a pick and roll defender. And uh, just the offensive skill set is just much higher for Miles because of that ability to step out and shoot and be something of a credible threat at least.
1: Yeah, 100%. Both guys aren't really ball handlers or passers, but Turner if the Pacers really unleash him as like an above the break three-point shooter, I just think has more offensive value and and Turner has the strength adva- advantage for me which is big.
0: Go to betonline.ag Baseball season's in full swing. Basketball season, you can bet on win-losses. But the best way to place a wager, be it on baseball, uh, be it on basketball win totals for the full season, uh, it's with Bet Online. It's never been easier, uh, and you've never had better odds than you get at BetOnline.ag. This week, uh, I probably won't be watching much sports, but I probably will place a bet on the Golden State Warriors. Uh, The NFL preseason is coming up. You got to bet the unders in the preseason. This is a Robbie Calland special. Shout out Robbie Calland. Uh, to celebrate another season kickoff, betonline.ag and CLNS Media are giving you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to join today and use that promo code CLNS50 to receive your welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines. This coming football season, this coming basketball season, or in the middle of this baseball season. Uh, Get into all the action with BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, Look, a minimum deposit of $55 is required, $55 uh, to qualify for the bonus. Please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses, but... uh, yeah, we're we're big fans of Bet Online over here at the Game Theory Podcast. Uh, another thing that we are fans of is Manscaped. Look, Manscaped Manscaped is just a fantastic product because while it is the number one in men's below the belt grooming, uh, Manscaped offers precision engineered tools uh, that I think go best with your face. To be honest, they have these great clipper settings that really can allow you to get the length that you're looking for in terms of your beard you can also use it for the intended purpose which uh, as Manscaped so eloquently puts it is for the family jewels uh but look manscaped it's a they totally redesigned the electric trimmer uh their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin safe technology so this trimmer doesn't uh nick it doesn't snag it's just a it's a terrific product uh accidents are a thing of the past uh we are just a big, big fan of Manscaped. And you can go to Manscaped.com uh, and get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEORY. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use the code THEORY to get that 20% off. So the guy who is 25th on this list, I think we've discussed everyone that like was considered, basically. But the guy who's 25th on this list is another one of these big men. And I think it might come as a surprise to some people. But I think that Bam Adebayo is pretty wildly underrated, just in large part because of what his role has been the last couple of years. But when you watch him show these flashes uh, in the minutes that he actually gets real usage, I think that they're actually pretty staggering. And I think that he combines potential two-way ability to be a high-level defender in addition to being a very useful offensive player who can run dribble handoffs, who can be a rim runner, who can maybe even knock down some shots uh, from the mid-range at least. I think that he kind of combines the pieces of all of the guys that we discussed uh, in that you know, four-man, big-man range uh, tier a little bit better than those other guys do. He combines those skills more.
1: I like his safety as a player. I don't know if the upside exists, but I think he's going to be very good by virtue mostly of the fact that he's incredibly strong. I love his frame, and he plays his ass off, and that's something that's really important is like his motor is fantastic. He's willing to do all of the little things, so set incredible screens and dribble handoffs and pick and roll. He's an underrated passer. I think he's actually a pretty good passer. Not a great shooter yet, but he can dribble a little bit. We've seen that more in Summer League settings and like lesser competition, but like grab and goes. I think there's a little bit more here than meets the eye good space defender not a dynamic rim protector in my opinion he never really has been that guy but someone who you could easily see surviving in the playoffs in space and that's important to me so while i don't necessarily believe in the ceiling as far as like legitimate like high level impact which is not saying like at 25 you're not saying that he's going to be like this superstar player of course right i do like his median and like his safety to value a little bit
0: right so you know you bring up the ability to defend around the basket and I think it's totally valid like uh, 58.7 defensive field goal percentage at the basket last year actually didn't contest a ton of those shots even though he played 24 minutes a night like he only contested about three of those shots which is a low number that's probably like half the rate of what Jarrett Allen did where Bam does provide real value and the reason that I think he has a better chance to play in crunch time of playoff games like not even just like get 25 minutes a night in playoff games but like be a difference maker in crunch time is the ability to really move his feet on the perimeter he can be a very high level defender on the perimeter i think
1: yeah that's absolutely the intrigue with him it's like he can switch ball screens he's going to be able to defend in space very well yeah. and you maybe you're not getting that backline rim protection but in the, the playoffs, some argue that it's more important to be able to defend on the perimeter because you're going to switch more, teams are going to target you more, and you're going to be out there anyway. So uh, there's definitely arguments for Bam. Like I think some of these guys, again, like Bamba and Mitch, I think have a little bit higher upside, frankly. But as far yep. as realizing that outcome range, I think that Bam is really, really safe there to be a valuable player. And he's going to surprise some people this year, I think, in a, in his role as a starter. Like when you compare his effort level, I mean, I don't want to like knock Whiteside here, but when you watch those two guys play, they couldn't be more stylistic different as far as giving a fuck on the floor consistently like bam is everywhere and i think that motor is really what separates him like if he didn't have that i wouldn't be as high on him but his ability to just play hard all the time he's gonna be able to defend like these bigger power players too like i think he's gonna have some success against guys like Giannis. he's very good at walling off in space like against Kawhi leonard for example i think that's gonna be a subtle like avenue to value for him is those bigger power players
0: So what I think is going to be really interesting with Miami this year too is they played quite a bit of zone last year defensively. Bam's skill set is actually better utilized in like an aggressive defensive scheme like the one Miami used to play more often uh, back when like LeBron and Chris Bosh were their big man defending ball screens regularly. So like I will be very interested to see if Miami goes more toward... A strategy like that. Now that they have these super high intensity, high motor players on the court a little bit more regularly, whereas like they had to kind of protect his on Whiteside a little bit more last year. But like you can go with Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Justice Winslow, uh, you know, like James Johnson lineups that are, are just going to be miserable to play against in every single way. So I would be very intrigued by those kind of stylistic, you know, heavy switch, uh, physical, strong lineups that Miami can really put out there defensively.
1: They definitely have the personnel to switch. I think they, they they love those big body guys who had that, you know, functional strength. That's going to be really fascinating. I think their issues are going to be more on the offensive end. Um, but, yeah, defensively, absolutely. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, on offense, Bam is certain uh, – I like the idea of being able to rim-run rim run Bam, but also be able to pick-and-pop Bam, potentially. Maybe I'm overestimating where he is as a shooter, but I think that just anything I've ever seen of him, his mechanics, I think, are going to be very sound and should translate to him becoming a pretty good shooter at some point. Like He's still uh, on the younger side. like He is 22. He'll be eligible for this list again next year as the 97th birthday. I do think there is a real chance he is going to be like a good, good shooter for like the big man. Yeah, I think.
1: I like the mechanics. I like the foundation. I don't know about three yet. That's the thing is, can he really push that range out and shoot threes yeah. consistently? I think I believe in him as like a mid-range guy. I think he can pick and pop from the mid-range, but how valuable is that? I, I, I think, honestly, the most underrated part of his game is his dribbling coordination. I think he's gonna, yep. if he can catch on a short roll, he can take one or two dribbles. He's actually very fluid. So If you haven't seen a lot of Bam, because Miami was honestly a train wreck to watch last year. just Straight up, I watched about five games and it was way too much. I, I, he's got an underrated skill set. I, I think he's going to surprise some people this year.
0: Yeah, in the decision making, as you said at the top here, uh, his ability to one-two dribble pick up, and make a cross-corner pass or make like a dump-off pass. That's the kind of stuff that a lot of big men don't really have. And it gives you a lot of versatility whenever you're running pick and rolls with him. Like you can, uh, you know, just run like a quick little kick out, re-screen, give him the ball again. And just having a lot of guys that are really coordinated in ball screens and rolls it's so so valuable to the nba in an era when decision making is at such a premium
1: uh very much agree
0: number 24 uh we got kevin herter here kevin herter had a really strong rookie year i was a little bit skeptical of him uh coming into his rookie year if only because I didn't really believe in his defensive ability quite to the extent that some people did. I knew he would shoot the ball. I thought he was a really, really underrated passer and decision maker. But I was worried about what he would do defensively. He's still not a guy that is like a particularly good one-on-one defender. But he wasn't the biggest problem at all for Atlanta within the construct of just running a defense uh, from a team perspective. He typically was in the right spot that's
1: where I was a little bit higher on his defense is because he's six seven and he's usually in the right place. I think he's a smart guy. Yeah. He picks up for Trey a lot. You see him make some rotations that are like, okay, he knows what he's doing as a rookie. And I'm not yeah. saying he's going to be like a plus-plus defender. I think he can just be like around average to slightly above average. I think that's what you're looking at from his range of outcomes. And I agree. The offense, I, I liked his secondary ball handling ability. Very good passer. Very smart player as far as, you know, I, this is the Atlanta vision as far as having these dribble-pass-shoot guys who can make decisions. And Kevin Herter can do that like he can run a secondary pick and roll when trey young throws him a skip pass he can take one dribble throw another skip pass put a ton of pressure on the wide spectrum of the floor and i think that's kind of travis Schlenk's vision to an extent it's just having guys a bunch of guys who can do that
0: yeah i definitely agree with that uh it'll be really interesting too to see him next to a guy like deandre hunter this year who should be able to really help pick up the one-on-one slack and you know kevin can probably play the backside a little bit more Uh, Maybe teams will try and isolate defensively on him more and try and take advantage of him one-on-one. And, you know, his backside defense might become a little bit less important with DeAndre Hunter on the court because they try to avoid Hunter a little bit more. Even though he's a rookie, I think he is going to be a pretty good defender from day one in the NBA. So I just don't really know what to make of the long-term defensive outlook still. I don't think he's going to be, like, a full-on nightmare, though. Like, with Trey Young, like, I still think there's a chance that, like, he gives a pretty decent amount back, and Trey figures very high on this list, even despite that. Uh, I don't think Kevin will give a ton back defensively.
1: That's where I'm at. I think he's going to be solid enough, and I I think teams are just going to attack Trey, so you're really looking at... You know, can hurt or play team defense and understand switch a little bit off the yeah, ball, which he's point. pretty good at. So I think I'm I'm not sure if he's ever going to be capitalized on, but is he a good enough team defender to really? This is all about like philosophy and team building. Is you're going to have you, you have to have very strong team defenders to insulate Trey. I'm not sure if hers to that level, but I think he's solid enough. Like I don't view his defense as a stark negative, and I think his offense is easily be easily going to offset that. One of the best pull up shooters in the league last year. Um, for rookies, he was I think he was at the top for. Like he was very good at running like secondary pick and rolls, pulling up off the dribble, not a lot of forward momentum, like high velocity shots, but he can definitely get to that. Like if you duck under a screen against him pick and roll, he's gonna be able to make that shot. So he, he definitely gives the Hawks tertiary ball handling, which I think is very important with Trey because he can't do everything all the time. Like Collins doesn't really create his own shot that way. That's not really how he gets his baskets. Hunter can do a little bit more from the mid post. I think that's gonna help them a little bit. Like, you're not going to run offense through DeAndre Hunter, but he, he can at least do a little bit more to help Trey. But Herter, I think his ability there is a little bit underrated. Not a great finisher as far as, like, he's not going to get to the rim. He usually tries to, like, hop off two. He's not very good off one finishing around bodies and stuff. That's something that he can probably improve. But I do love the passing. I do that, love that's the That's a strength 60.
0: thing, too, as much as anything. Like, the ability yes. to hop off a one and absorb contact is, like, a huge part of that, being able to finish around the basket. And just being able to just get shots up and get shots up that have a chance to go in with the requisite touch that you need. You know, you brought up the secondary ball handling and the pick and roll. I think that that is ultimately kind of the swing skill for Kevin Herter because we feel good about him being an exceedingly high level shooter, right? Like, uh, especially off the catch, right? Like he's going to be someone that knocks down shots probably at right around like A 60 effective field goal percentage directly off the catch. Uh, 40% from three, somewhere in that range. As a pull-up shooter, you are absolutely correct. He was 90th percentile in the NBA last year. Took 143 pull-ups, so right around two per game. And uh, made them at a 53 effective field goal percentage clip, which is really great. I think that the biggest separating factor that the Hawks might need from someone next to Trey Young is the ability to consistently get into the teeth of the defense and score around the basket. And I don't know that Kevin has that. Kevin's floater game is kind of a mess, I think. Uh, it never really seems on balance to me whenever he tries to go up. And he went up for like a decent amount of them last year. Like he took 50 floaters last year and made 13 of them. I. Just am very interested to see how that part of his game develops because I think it's ultimately going to be a big part of if he is the long term fit next to Trey Young on a Hawks team that can be as good as we think the Hawks upside can be long term. Like we think that you know their upside is still long term, like potentially a title team, right? Like they haven't boxed themselves in anywhere to where that upside doesn't exist. Would you agree?
1: I wouldn't say it doesn't exist. I'm more skeptical based on the defensive personnel, especially the rim protection from their big spots protecting Trey. I think that's my biggest concern right now. But I do think you hit the nail on the head as far as Herder's biggest swing skill. I think is that secondary ability to get to the rim and finish, and that's something that he's not really great at. I think the off movement shooting. I don't if memory serves, he wasn't as good at that last year. But I think that's going to come. We saw plenty of that in in college. Like he was dynamic coming off screens and you know hopping into shots. I think that's going to come. But do do the Hawks have anybody? secondarily who can get to the basket not cam reddish's strength that's another swing skill for him he was not a good finisher yeah. in college we all know that but they need somebody that can do that and i don't think that's necessarily deandre hunter's game like he can do that a little bit when he has mismatches like he can get by clumsier guys but he's never been like the most fluid athlete getting to the basket so eventually somebody's gonna have to do that on this team to, to help Trey. i don't know who that is yet like again not Herter's strength we'll kind of see how he improves there
0: real quick should we mention that cam reddish was named by the rookie class the most likely oh, player to have, like, uh, the best career out of them. Can we ban Kim Cam Reddish was not considered <laughs> for this list, for what it's worth. Uh, Cam, I, I like Cam. Like, I had him as a top 10 player in this class. But Cam was not so uh, was not someone in the top, like, 40 guys of this list for me.
1: Sometimes, like, the, it's so perplexing how players view their peers as far as scoring and Cam having this, I guess, conceptualization of him being, like, this dynamic creator. And, like, you just have to watch his college tape. Literally just watch one game and you don't start seeing the negatives there. I, if you watch his highlights, he probably looks like that. Like, maybe a lot of players yeah. watch that and it was like, oh, you see these dribble step backs. Like, those are advanced moves. And they are. But from a consistency standpoint, yeah, it, it's just not there, man. Number
0: 23. I have got Wendell Carter. This is a Coleswicker special. Cole, you would have him a little bit higher, wouldn't you? I would.
1: I'm not exactly sure. I didn't think about it too much where I'd have him, but I'd probably have him like. 10-ish spots higher i'm very high on him. i wrote a shameless plug here but i wrote a 25 or 26 minute piece on him for the stepping and basically saying that i think he's going to be the breakout second year guy you can make a lot of cases for a lot of different second year guys but i think from where he's viewed in the popular media structure as far as his his conceptualization of his game i think he's going to surprise a lot of people with the leap this year because he was injured a lot of last season he only played 44 games
0: so if fred hoiberg was still the coach i would agree with you on that Um, With Jim Boylan as the coach, Boylan really simplified his role last year in a way that annoyed the shit out of me. Because he is a lot more than just like some pick and roll big man who can post up. He can run dribble handoffs. He can knock down shots and pick and pop. He can really make high level passing reads for a big man. And with Boylan as the coach, like the 20 games that Carter played with Boylan as the coach, I felt like they just simplified his role to such a ridiculous extent that we didn't get to see what makes him such a marginally uh, effective offensive player in comparison to his peers.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'm not going to pile on Boylan completely, even though I think he deserves some responsibility here. I don't know what happened with Carter and like his confidence last year with his jump shot. You know, mm-hmm. 6 of 32 from 3. Did not make shots consistently, but I think the flashes were definitely there. This guy shoots a really, yeah. really fluid ball. Like, he's going to shoot 3s. It's a matter of when, not if for me. And in, I do agree, though. You have to, if you're Boylan, you have to optimize him and, like, encourage him to shoot. You have to give him confidence because that's how he's going to win. This is not an interior big. This is a perimeter big. He's not DeAndre Ayton. You know, if you look at their finishing numbers in the post, like, Wendell Carter was 10th percentile at post-ups last year, if if memory serves. Like, he was, like, 28% because he's not posting up fours. Like, A Marvin Bagley who can just jump over the top of guys. He's posting up behemoth centers, and he's just not that big. Like he's six ten. He's got he's long, but he's not gonna like just jump over the top of somebody like Aiton, who's an incredible finisher on like deep catches and stuff with touch. Like Wendell, much more of like like you said, a dribble handoff guy. He can take two dribbles and like pick guys off on the move. That's his ability. Everything stems from his ability to shoot the basketball. So if he's not gonna do that, you're not gonna use him like a traditional center. That's not who he is.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, and uh, we should move to the defensive side of the floor because ultimately I think the swing scale overall for Wendell Carter is going to be how he defends ball screens. Uh, what did you think of him as a rookie defending ball screens? I
1: thought he was solid I mean they used him a lot in drop honestly so you didn't mm-hmm. see as much aggressive coverages like I thought he was good in drop like he's very good at verticality and like yeah. where he struggles a little bit is when he's moving backwards in space like taking contact his contact balance there isn't ideal I even thought he held up pretty damn well on switches outside of like a, a couple of exceptions so like James Harden when you get dual threats who are dynamic pull-up shooters who can also drive like him Ola Depot, they really got Carter moving his feet side to side and he kind of of. to redistribute his weight he's not great in those settings those are instances where i'm not sure if he's going to be able to hang against the highest level guys but his length really helps him like he just has to stay close enough to a play to contest and i think he might be able to do that against the non-elites like he had no problem like staying with like luka dodges types for example like wings like that he's fine against i'm a little worried about him against guys like harden but overall like i think his defense is really strong in pick and roll
0: a guy that ends up being able to not really defend the highest level pull-up shooters right so let's say guys like Stephen curry damian lillard um even like a kyle lowry i think is like a good example of this where kyle is really good at driving getting downhill getting into the body but also knocking down shots despite not being like a super athletic guy necessarily uh james harden another guy obviously i'm just kind of bringing up examples not trying to name the guys that i think are best but if He can't guard those guys, given the way that the NBA is going and the way that pull-up shooters are so drastically effective uh, and just dangerously effective. Uh, Do we think that we trust him to be able to stay on the floor consistently in a conference final series and an NBA final series?
1: I mean, that's the ultimate question, uh, but I think that's the question with a lot of these bigs. Like, can anybody really hang with these pull-up shooters defensively right. if, if you're a big? Like, even in Capella, for example, like, Luca abused that dude in space last year. Wendell was much better on Luca. the tape that I saw, for example. So, that's the right. thing for all these guys. But, like, I think it's fair to have some reservations about Carter, because, again, sometimes a little bit of slow of a hip turn. He's not, like, clumsy. He, he's fine, but you don't see that high-level twitch in his hips, for example. Like, he's not the most fluid is in that way like or most explosive as far as his ability to turn and yeah. run
0: I think that's you almost have to him. drop him in coverage defensively like I think that's the best way to do it like even against someone like Luka Doncic you probably don't want to just flat switch him onto a guy like that you want him to keep a little bit of distance between those t- between him and Luka
1: I think he can do it I think against those kinds of players he can hang well enough again we're just talking about staying close enough to use his length if he didn't have length he'd be he'd probably be fucked frankly but, right like he packs so many shots like jamal murray in space wasn't a problem for him like he, i think he blocked two of his pull-ups when they played denver last year he hangs a little bit better than you'd think but there's a difference between those guys and then scaling up to the more dynamic dual threat guys like again that's gonna be the biggest swing i think in the regular season they're gonna drop him more like they did last year and i think that's good I mean, a lot of teams do that i wouldn't like you don't have to hard edge especially when you have chris dunn who where his primary skill is point of attack defense and getting around screens why why wouldn't you drop him I'm very curious to see if he can hang against these elite athletes So can he stay in front of De'Aaron Fox for example someone who doesn't have a dynamic pull-up jumper he can hit it but he's not like the same level of some of these pull-up shooters I, w- I want to see how well he does in space I do think that's his biggest win skill
0: yeah so like I brought up the idea of like moving Lowry Markkinen earlier this summer and I do have Markkinen higher on this list but you know part of the reason that I brought that up is like a potential option for the Bulls is because I really believe in Wendell Carter becoming like a high level starting center who combines so many of the different skills that you want a center to combine perimeter offensive ability, potential ability to finish above the basket uh, in pick and roll settings. He's not a hard roller necessarily that's going to give you a, a ton of gravity where like a backside tagger has to hammer him to make sure he can't take off. But he does have such good touch around the basket that I think that uh, you really do have to pay attention to him, at least, because he just knows where to be and has great IQ around there. Uh, Like I said, the perimeter offensive skill, the ability to play defense on the interior, I think, is pretty high for him. He just knows where to be consistently. And ultimately, like Cole and I have talked about here, the swing skill for him is just going to be whether or not he can really defend on the perimeter at a I would say high level realistically is what he needs to get to, uh, to combine all of these skills and become a very high level center at the next level. Uh, I truly believe in him. Like I think he's going to be a high class starting quality center in the NBA. Um, And while Lowry Markinen's ability to consistently knock down shots at just a ridiculous clip, uh, maybe the best seven foot shooter since Dirk Nowitzki, he probably is. Uh, I think it's going to be easier to build around Wendell Carter long-term than it is to to build around Lowry Markkinen, despite the fact that Markkinen might be, in a vacuum, a better player.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think Wendell, the reason I was so high on him in the draft, again, I value... Team defense, rim protection, and defensive ability from bigs, like as far as holistically, multi levels, the most. And I think he can do that stuff. And offensively, the ability to shoot the ball. This is a guy who almost shot 80% from the line his rookie year. He has great touch, and this is something that the Bulls have never really utilized him again the right way. Like they short roll him right into traffic. Like even in summer league, you were seeing him attempt runners over like triple teams because they kept just short rolling him. And it's like okay, you can better optimize him, pop him, let him take a couple dribbles if somebody like closes out hard on him, make a pass. You're gonna start. Seeing him be able to do that stuff, I think, is the Bulls have better surrounding personnel this year. They have Sadaransky, much better shooter than most of their point guards. He you know, make the extra pass. He'll get more ball distribution on the floor. Wendell Carter's never played with Otto Porter, and Otto Porter is a tremendous upgrade for them on the wing. So, again, this is someone who I think the situation is trending upward. We'll see about Boylan, but you're going to see more offensive ability from him. And I just really believe in the jump shot, man. Even if it's just corner threes this year, I think people are going to b- start buying into that. I mean, he's, again, I think he's really going to shoot. We're talking maybe for me personally i think he's gonna be like 36 percent. i think he's gonna be ultimately be like an al horford type there maybe not all the things that horford does as far as being able to put the ball on the floor get to the rim as far as coordination but as far as a shooter he's way ahead of what horford was coming in and i think you're gonna see that start to manifest this year
0: i think that the best way to explain centers in the modern nba and i'll do this now just because uh there aren't a great. I think that this is the last center we're going to discuss on this podcast, at least. Uh, that is going to go from seventeen to twenty-five. It's, the easiest way to do it is just with kind of market economics, right? So there are such a large supply of centers in today's NBA that I think that you can find centers pretty easily that take something off the table uh, while providing some sort of ridiculously high-level skill. Uh, it's what the market inefficiency is, is finding guys who can do everything at a really solid clip, put the ball on the floor, pass it, shoot it, defend inside, defend on the perimeter. Finding those guys, I think is the easiest way to build inside out in today's NBA. That is so perimeter oriented. And Wendell Carter can do that. And I think that that's why there is a real case that Carter, uh, might be the better option is the long-term center of the Bulls.
1: Exactly. And I think also to that point, to expand on that, I think – there's a high percentage chance that Wendell Carter is always underrated in his career. Like what he does, because he's not a dynamic scorer. Like if you want a basket, you throw it to Lowry in the mid post, for example, he can get you more offense as a self creator, right? Wendell just does everything really well. And he's a very, very good team defender. So th- there are things that I don't think are ever going to be fully valued. Like he's not the same player as Miles Turner, for example, like Wendell's better passer, better dribbler. Miles Turner is like bigger. Um, but like even Miles Turner, we saw his contract got a little bit underpaid. And I, I don't think Wendell Carter is as, is this like dynamic score he's not like that guy enough to the point where teams are going to be like yeah you're a max guy like i think there's potential where he has some contractual value like i think lowry's probably going to be a max guy just with his ability to shoot the ball the way he does and that being so rare because he has that one like dynamic skill
0: like singular elite skills i think tend to lead to uh an overvaluing at times of what a player brings to the table
1: exactly right and i think especially when it's scoring or shooting those are two things that are always going to be valued potentially overvalued at times by executives and Wendell just, he shoots well enough I think he's going to shoot well enough where it's never going to be like a, a Lowry skill but it's going to be solid enough and the rest of his game is just going to be undervalued so that's why I really liked him in the class too because I looked at the, the list of guys and it was like who is potentially going to be a value on a second contract and to me even though he's a big I think it's going to be Wendell
0: Number 22, Jalen Brown. Uh, So I have Jalen ahead of guys like Wendell Carter, Bama DeBio, just because I do think that Wings, who I think at least still have potential to create as pull-up shooters, are just a higher value player than someone like a center in today's NBA. Now time is running out a little bit for Jalen Brown on being able to do this. Jalen Brown was 10th on the list last year. I still am like a fan in general of what Jalen brings to the table, but unquestionably he did stagnate a bit last year in terms of what he actually uh, contributed to the Celtics. And and like part of that might've been locker room related. Part of it might've been role related because they got uh, Gordon Hayward back and the whole situation from a role allocation perspective didn't seem like it went particularly well. And he also hasn't quite developed to the extent as a pull up shooter that he showed the potential to after his second season. So where would you have Jalen Brown? Would you have Jalen Brown on this list, Cole?
1: From initial glance, I probably wouldn't. He'd be in my I mean he'd be in my honorable mentions, but I don't he wouldn't be in my top twenty five, I don't think.
0: So, why is that? I guess it would be my question because I know that you do indeed uh, understand the value of wing players in today's NBA.
1: I think he's the classic example of someone who gets overvalued based on positional scarcity. I think that the sure. big wing thing is definitely there for him. I don't really buy. I, I think I buy the catch and shoot shot at this at this point. Like I feel pretty good about him in that role. If he's just a tertiary guy who's a catch and shoot, he can attack a closeout. Yep. Good, obviously dynamic athlete. I just don't know how effective
0: field goal percentage is a catch and shoot guy last year. Sixty fifth percentile overall in the NBA. So pretty good as a catch and shoot guy to be honest like he's just at that stage now where I think you can trust him to knock down those shots
1: yeah that's not my objection to him at all I'm just wondering what else we're getting like how much more is there to his game like I don't really buy the pull-up shooting in the sense that he's going to initiate an offense and you it's either you pull up or you make a decision as a passer I don't trust him there he's never he's actually low-key not a great finisher which is kind of interesting because he's
0: never really yeah that's always been a thing for him like exactly. he's never just- really been a high level finisher despite the athleticism. Now we can talk about the fact that like he does do a pretty good job of getting out in transition and finishing. Like there is yes. value to being able to, you know, create 300 transition possessions a year. But in the half court, whenever he's crowded, like he was a below average finisher this year. He had shot uh, in the half court 54% uh, at the rim this season.
1: And these aren't a lot, at least from what I've seen. They're not like he's initiating a pick and roll, getting to the rim against a set defense. Like some of them are against like closeouts in more bigger space, and he's still not finishing as well as you'd like him to. So that's always been something with his or, game. Or it's he's been like a backside
0: cutting to the basket yes. as well. And like catching a pass and trying to finish.
1: And I'm like that's what my concern is like I think he's in an optimal situation with Boston. Like some people will say maybe he can do more, but I think he could probably do more in the role that he's in right now just because you're playing around better ball handlers you're kind of filling in the gaps and he hasn't been as efficient doing i mean the it's been great but the finishing i just don't know where the upside is and i think you're going to pay the premium for him because of positional scarcity you're looking at like a very young wing who's uber athletic good switching and I think those ten kinds of players just tend to be overvalued, especially with their contract. Like we talked about that, I think, a couple podcasts ago. For what he's going to yeah. be paid, there's almost no chance in hell that you're going to find him on a winning team. I'm sorry. like As far as a competitive team, if he's one of your three highest-paid players, that's where you lose it for me because historically, if you look at those guys – like. If you're trying to fill a big wing role, you're looking for a guy who's making like 14 percent or less of your salary cap historically, like Tayshaun Princes, for example, Shane Battier. He's nowhere near that as far as an IQ player. So, again, the discussions about people saying, would you be disappointed if he was Andre Iguodala in his career? He's not even close to Andre Iguodala. I'm, I'm sorry.
0: No, he's not because he can't initiate an offense yet. What I will say is like he is he turns 23 before the end of the year. So let's say let's even give him 23 years old instead of me trying to say he's 22. Um, He's 23 (laughs) years old. He has shown growth as a shooter throughout the course of his career. Like this is not an Andrew Wiggins situation where Wiggins has basically been the same guy like since he's come to the league. Right. Like he hasn't shown that growth. Also, Jalen is like a very emotionally intelligent person. I think that yes. he has a chance to like really figure out how he has to work in the same way that Victor Oladipo did, for instance. Right, uh, whenever he was you know got traded to Indiana and really became like a ridiculous pull up shooter. Like I would imagine that when Victor Oladipo was you know getting traded to Oklahoma City after his three years in Indiana, you probably would have said similar, right? To him, just not being necessarily like the high level pull up shooter that he's become. I
1: think that's probably correct. It's more like Depot's handle has always been better, in my opinion, though. Like yeah. in, in tighter spaces, like he can really get to the rim like that. Like Jalen's never been that guy on the ball. Like he'll, he'll lose the ball in traffic. I've never really trusted his like tighter area handle. So o- Old Depot's definitely exceeded expectations, no question. I wouldn't have expected this. but i, I Right. Think I, and, he had a stronger foundation as far as skill.
0: Right, and I'll be honest with you, I don't expect Jalen Brown to ever come near what Victor Oladipo has. But I can't, like, I don't think you can rule it out yet, just given the person involved, given the athleticism, given the growth steps he's taken over the course of the last couple of years. Uh, This is a guy that, you know, much in the same way that Victor Oladipo looked overpaid uh, after his deal. I do agree with you. Like, I think that Jalen Brown is likely going to look drastically overpaid whenever he signs either an extension or a free agency contract after the season. Um, Maybe he won't. Maybe this will be his make or break year. But like when I look at Jalen Brown, there is at least like a 10 to 20% world where he does become a wing creator on like some level in getting that guy who's six foot seven plays high level defense already. And you know, can knock down shots off the catch already and has, like, at the very least, like, a he's like Jalen Brown is a starting quality player, at least right now, uh, as his floor. It's hard for me to look past that on a list like this. Like, if I was trying to figure out, like, guys that I would be willing to take an upside swing on this year if Boston decided that they were looking to trade him like I would look at Jalen Brown in the hope that I you know maybe Boston falls out of it and decide they're not going to pay him anyway so they just move on from him and you know, you get his restricted free agency rights and he enters restricted free agency and you can get him at you know less than what we think he's going to get for you know four years you know 85 million or something like that like that's a bet that i'd probably be willing to take at least i I don't think that that's the way it's going to go but i think there is a world where that outcome exists and i think there's a world where this season he starts to show real upside as like a creator a little bit just because uh he's super athletic he's smart he seems to work at it seems to go into it with a good attitude
1: yeah, I love the character, and I don't think the position is indefensible. I'm just a little more skeptical. Like The team defense has never been great. He lapses. He's a good switch defender, and he's good on the ball, but I don't think he's good off the ball as far as high level, and that's something Oladipo was even sure. good at in college. Like He was a much yeah, more all-around defensive player, but you're right. I think, though, over- if you're buying his upside with Brown, you're buying the shot-making potential. You're buying his ability to pull up shots off the dribble in the mid-post and just be a crazy good shooter because I don't really trust him to make decisions on either side of the floor, frankly. like I, he, I don't think he's ever going to, even though he's a smart like person i've never really seen that iq translate to the floor functionally and that's my issue with him yeah. is i don't know how high the ceiling is unless he's just a crazy shot maker
0: yeah and like i'm not pricing in at putting him at 22 i'm not pricing in him being uh him getting to this level i'm pricing in like the 15 percent chance that i think sure he has, he like could become like a wing pull-up shooter which is low but the value that that would have potential to bring is just astronomically higher than where he is on this list right yeah that's fair again i
1: i'm a little bit lower on that even if he does become like a very good pull-up shooter of course it's it's about degree like can he be like paul george example i'm I'm very doubtful he could do that But if you believe in like even a five percent chance of that happening I, i can see the logic behind this
0: Let's go to 21, Brandon Ingram. Uh, the next two guys are Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. Like, maybe they're worth discussing somewhat together, if only because they were uh, dealt for Anthony Davis this summer. But let's start first with Ingram. From a production perspective, I feel like this is low for Brandon Ingram. Uh, he is an 18 points, five rebound, three assist guy. Uh, who has shown some growth as a shooter throughout the course of his career, continues to get a little bit stronger. He is only 21 years old still, just turns 22 uh, this coming month here in September. The upside is pretty real, but there is also the deep venous thrombosis that he had uh, that forced him to miss the end of the season this year. And the lack of overall efficiency because he is reliant upon having the ball in his hands to an extent that is a little bit concerning.
1: That's exactly right. How efficient can he be as an on-ball player? Last year did not shoot the ball well off the catch um at all. He was 18th percentile. It, it, that just has to get better if he's going to function on the floor with better players. It, you know, he can get to his pull-up, very high release with his long arms, but is he is he efficient enough doing that to where you're going to have him initiate offense consistently, maybe on bench units. And I think that's what a lot of people have said is maybe stagger him and let him run kind of de facto point on backup units. But if you're fitting into a competitive environment as a starter, he's going to have to improve as a catch and shoot guy. I think it really starts there.
0: Yeah. He's one where the context behind the numbers is super important because if you just look across the board, like 18 points, five rebounds, three assists, a guy that had a 55.5 true shooting percentage, so was not a below average efficiency guy last year. Um, pretty low turnover rate at 13% for a guy that's six foot nine and handles the ball as much as he does. Usage rate wasn't like out of control at 23%. But then you watch him, and it is difficult for him to play off of the ball. Like, as you mentioned, the ability to knock down shots off the catch like just abandoned him at times last year. Uh, The ability to like cut at the right time consistently uh, and like just find those easy baskets, I think often is lacking. I am so fascinated by where his career goes, because like if you told me he put on 25 pounds, like 30 pounds, what he was listed at 190 last year. I don't know if that was right. You know, maybe he was up over 200 last year let's say that 190 is right um if he gets to like 215 220 it's six foot nine six foot ten with a plus seven plus six wingspan there's like a world where you could run some fascinating lineups with him as like a small ball center and just make lives miserable for these huge centers right and maybe, if he can get the requisite like physical core strength to be able to protect the rim a little bit, really uh, create some fascinating like twitchy defensive lineups that can dissuade perimeter penetration uh, <laughs> at all. but like that's that's not the role that he's been used as. He's been used more as like a perimeter, like almost like a two three true wing. Versus a big man and I think in large Part that's because the lack of bulk Causes issues so I think a lot Of Brandon Ingram is dependent on Where you Think the body goes As much as the skill set because Like if you told me he put On 30 pounds and got Zero better at basketball Like he, he did not get any better At uh, any of his skills I think there's like a high End chance that he could be a very Useful player as like a four or five big man that you can just like create all sort of mismatch problems with, but it's, it's just hard to buy the body.
1: Yeah. I think that's where the conversation should be had. Why I'm really fascinated by him. If you could use him, he's not this player, obviously, but if you could use him offensively, like Siakam, where he attacks in space and he just utilizes his tools, but you have to have some contact balance and the ability to like, knock guys off their spots and, like, get over the top. But, like, his length and his extension is legit. Like, I think if he had the strength to, like, drop a shoulder and really extend over guys that would be a valuable tool and it's valuable against smaller players like he can already do that but against fours and fives if he played more of the four i don't know if he's ever gonna be like if a coach would ever trust him to play the five for multiple reasons but let's say he plays the four i think there's gonna be he he can handle the ball pretty well he would be fairly skilled honestly for a a modern four and his ability to extend in like face face up situations as a finisher and really get to the rim that's where i think he'd be really intriguing
0: yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Like being able to take a, advantage of these like crazy mismatch situations. Like he is the epitome of like a mismatch nightmare potential outcome player in today's NBA. If only because guys who have potential to dribble pass shoot off the dribble, uh, th- those guys are in such small quantities now that it, it is so fascinating to compare him to Pascal Siakam, just because. You know, they came into the NBA at the same time. Brandon Ingram is four years younger or three years younger, three and a half, three to four years younger than Pascal Siakam is. So I'm just like so intrigued by where Ingram goes. And I would imagine that like the Pelicans with Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, J.J. Redick, Etuan Moore, they probably play him more at the four this year. And we get to see a little bit more of that like potential mismatch nightmare situation than we ever saw from him with the Lakers.
1: That's what I want to see. Personally, I want to see him in the Josh situations. Hart as well, by the way.
0: I'm sorry. I forgot Josh.
1: Yeah. And I want to see him there. I'm a little dubious on the floor spacing as far as like, can he play in that role and like, the Pelicans have enough supporting infrastructure to really give him space to operate. Like, They don't have the best spacing on that team. I think their defense is going to be really good. But that, that's just kind of a curious point where I don't think that's how a lot of people view him just because how we've seen him a lot is initiating yeah. more in pick and roll as like When he has the ball, he's like the primary creator. I don't know if that's best for him. I want him more in situations where he's an advantage scorer in certain ways. And I like him in transition a lot as the ball handler because I think you can siphon up points with him when he's attacking guys in space and you can kind of, you know, use those big strides and those long arms to really get to the basket. That's where I'm most fascinated by him.
0: Yeah, the transition points are really good One, he was a really useful transition player last year. Uh, Just in general, I mean... Uh if you look at the number of points he put up he put up the 36th most points in the NBA last year in transition despite the fact that he only played 52 games. So the transition point is a really really good one and I think it's a really important one in terms of him getting the absolute most out of his skill set
1: and that's a good situation with the pelicans like i don't think the half court spacing is going to be there necessarily but they're going to get up and down like lonzo oh, yeah. fine guys zion's going to be dynamic so like that's where he can really fit in but i will say as a negative my last point on ingram basically is just it's, it's similar to jalen brown it's the contract point it's like what is he right. going to be paid upcoming in free agency as a as a big wing and that's where i, I get a little hesitant based on his production level his age his position it's hard to see him becoming a surplus value guy. He's going to have to improve especially as an off-ball guy to really warrant that.
0: Yeah. Let's uh let's talk about Lonzo now because I think that the idea of the Pelicans playing super up tempo, which I would imagine they will this year because Alvin Gentry likes to play up tempo. Their entire roster is tailor made to play his style now. Um I think that's going to be a great situation for Lonzo, and it's why I still have him on this list. Uh, I think people might be surprised that Lonzo is still on this list. But uh, where would you have Lonzo somewhere in the top 25 for you?
1: I will. Why? I think... Still, I believe in this guy is a. I don't want to say generational because that's overused, but as far as basketball in mind, he's elite. I, I think that's going to yeah. be there, and I think his defensive value can't go understated at the guard spot. Like to me, he's like a top five or six defensive guard in the league. Just someone who is incredibly cerebral as a team defender has really added strength. I think that's really helped him overall in his game, especially mm-hmm. defensively. Like he can guard down positions pretty effectively now on the ball. Still not as quick twitch and like good in pick and roll, but he can switch. He's strong and his instincts. It's been an offense as a ball mover too i mean just like the guy who makes awesome decisions and quick decisions with the basketball if he could ever shoot off the catch that's really where we're at like if he could shoot off the catch he's an incredibly valuable player
0: but that's just where this all comes down to yeah no i think that's absolutely a thousand percent right uh lonzo ball is to me i don't know if he's the most interesting player in the nba this year but he's Definitely in the top 10, because I think this situation next to Drew Holiday, this is the situation you and I have been talking about since he was in the draft in terms of the situation where he will fit best. Like this is the prototypical spot that you would want to have Lonzo Ball next to a great half court creator surrounded by guys who will run in transition, surrounded by two guards and. J.J. Reddick, and Drew Holiday, who can knock down shots, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, by the way, and Etwan Moore, and Josh Hart. uh, Surrounded by, you know, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, who are both great transition threats. Uh, Derek Favors has shown the ability to step out and knock down shots occasionally. Jackson Hayes is a guy that can run in transition and can be a pick-and-roll partner for him, and can be a very interesting defensive pick-and-roll partner for Lonzo Ball. And... Uh, you know, Derek Favors is a guy that is pretty good at stepping out and knocking down shots. And, and like Nikola Melli is a guy that can step out and knock down shots from the perimeter. So I, I think Lonzo is set up for success as well as he ever could have been set up for success in the NBA. And the coach is going to let him play his style of basketball as much as any NBA coach is going to let him run up and down the floor in the way that he likes to. If Lonzo can't figure out this role in this setting, that's where, you know, things start to get real tentative, I think, for him. Because this is tailor-made for him to be absolutely as successful as possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, transition point guard, half court off the ball. That's always been what I've said with Lonzo. It's like that. He kind of personifies this idea of what you consider a true point guard. But in the modern game, you have to have scoring gravity if you're going to play on the ball in a dynamic fashion. He's not going to have that. He's not going to be a guy who gets shots off the dribble consistently and beats guys. He's got a very predictable you know, left shot line. He can't really shoot going to his right that effectively. He's never been a guy who gets to the rim on the ball and like finishes at a high level. He's more of an advantage scorer. So you just have to put him in the right position to succeed. And that's why a lot of guys are lower on Lonzo, it's because he's not a dynamic scorer. But when you just look at him that way, you don't see all the nuance in his game, all the ways that he can impact your team winning basketball games if he's optimized. And I think, again, it just comes down to the catch-and-shoot. If he can make a credible catch-and-shoot three consistently, this guy is going to be, a, a, I think, a quality starter for a long time, and he's going to impact winning basketball. It's just, that is where we're at. And this is kind of an interesting philosophy point when we look at prospects and upside in the draft. That's really all he had to do, even as a prospect, <laughs> was shoot threes off the catch and he was a valuable player like but he didn't have that high creation ceiling that some afforded him like a jason Kidd. he's never been that good of a ball handler he's not that good of a slasher but when you put him in the right role i think he's really going to thrive
0: as a catch and shoot player 127 shots last year 39.4 effective field goal percentage that's disastrously low uh as a shooter off the dribble pretty good 45 effective field goal percentage, which was 64th percentile in the NBA on almost 100 shots. So I, I would love it if Lonzo is successful. He's such a fun player. He is just a fascinating dude to watch play basketball. Ultimately, it's going to really depend on where the on-ball game goes from here. here here's a question for you. Amy: hey, Is it as simple as he has to do one of two things? Either become a high level pick and roll creator, which would involve him uh, becoming like a lower to the ground dribbler, a tighter ball handler, maybe being able to add like a crossover game that isn't just to get to a step back, but to get going forward and breaking down a defense into the teeth of it, or becoming a catch and shoot guy, or is it like really he just needs the catch and shoot guy? Like, could he do one of those two things and become an exceedingly high level player?
1: Yeah, I think he just has to shoot, catch, and shoots. Honestly, and I think he's a valuable player. If you have another perimeter creator next to him, that's always been his thing, is you need another guy. If you have that, like he's gonna bring value on the defensive end. We know that. And I think he's gonna bring, you know, underrated value on offense by ball movement. And if he's a credible spacing threat, I think he remedies that. I don't ever see him becoming, you know, a dynamic yeah. on ball creator. This is not somebody who has good touch. That's something that was I think overlooked a little bit in the draft is like, like he was three of 20 on runners last year. He's never been a great finisher as far as flexibility, but even his touch is pretty suspect overall. Like he's obviously his free throw numbers are absolutely abysmal. And I I think that like you, you look at his touch and his ability to finish in the interior. I just don't see that coming. Like, can he make a pull up three? Like, I think some of his numbers as far as pull up shooting are a little bit overstated just based on guys give him really deep, you know, sag offs like they're like, yeah, go ahead yeah. and shoot like we'll duck under the screen. Maybe he can make that in time. And like that becomes credible enough where you have to chase over. I doubt it. But that's as, that's about as much as I can see his on ball value going as a score is maybe he can hit a, a pull up three when you duck way under. I don't ever expect him to be like this dynamic interior finisher or on ball creator as far as pull ups in the mid range over contest, etc.
0: Yeah, I generally agree with you that I don't think he's going to be some like high-level creator because it goes back to the thing that you and I have talked about on this podcast with like Kobe White recently, right? Uh, the combination of tall point guard at six foot six with short arms and just like a lack of super tightness handling the ball, it's just harder for those guys to get the ball low to the ground. They all tend to have a higher dribble, and I think it's harder for guys with higher dribbles in the NBA to be successful. Yeah, he's not a very,
1: no, exactly right. And he's not a very shifty ball handler either. Like the control isn't there and he doesn't have a lot of dribble moves. It's not like you're scared of him with like an in and out cross, like creating separation and blowing by someone in isolation, for example. Of course he can make all the reads. So people like, yeah, he's a point guard. Like nobody's doubting his intellect. Like this guy's one of the best passers in the NBA. But again, about the modern NBA scoring on the ball, that scoring gravity unlocks the rest of your game. If you don't have that, you're not going to be able to initiate offenses consistently.
0: Let's move on to number 19. Shea Gilgis Alexander. He had a terrific <laughs> rookie year. This is going to be a fascinating conversation because apparently Cole told me before the before the, we did this <laughs> podcast that there are people who think of Shay as like one of the three or four best players in this draft class. And he had a really good year last year. He was very useful on a team that was pretty good and was uh, very competent in terms of role allocation. I still want to see what the upside is going forward with Shea. And that, that's not to say that, like, I don't think he has upside. He absolutely does. But I just want to see more of the creativity uh, and the ability to really, like, uh, break defenses down because that, that's just, like, not something he did a lot of last year. Uh, he, he was just not asked to be a, like, true traditional point guard that makes plays a ton last year.
1: No, he was a secondary ball handler in that system. I mean, if you remember... The Clippers opened up. They were having Gallinari and Tobias Harris initiate a lot of their offense. Then Lou Williams would come in and be like the point guard. Most of the time, Shea was spotting up from the corners. Like he was playing in their motion scheme. He was an advantage creator. Like at times, yeah, of course he would play pick and roll. But he wasn't like a primary. And I'm not sure if he's going to be able to be that this year, at least from the start on the Thunder, because they still have Chris Paul. So he might be the same role as far as a secondary kind of tertiary ball handler. That's really what I want to see him. I want to see him as the primary focal point of an offense.
0: Yeah, it's so funny that Chris Paul plays for the Thunder. Just like I part of me almost keeps forgetting that. I don't know why, <laughs> but like that that's like the player this year that I can't quite wrap my head around playing for a team right now. Do you have one of those guys?
1: Um, not as much just cuz I've actually followed up on <laughs> free agents and like trades and stuff. So there's not really one of those guys. For me, it's in the it's in the draft it's with prospects. It's with Michael Porter. Like I forget he exists all the time.
0: Yeah, like it's just like Chris Paul, it's weird because like we've seen Chris Paul literally play in Oklahoma City before, but just with the way that Oklahoma City seems to be rebuilding a little bit, it just doesn't seem like a fit, right, for what they're doing. And like I just keep trying to wrap my head around all of it, you know
1: yeah and it's it's just really interesting because we've talked about it on the podcast before about how they're kind of low key they can be competitive a little bit with their infrastructure like with Stephen Adams with Shea, chris Paul like they're going to be a little bit feisty, I think as a roster yeah. not a ton of depth, but like i I don't think they're a bad team, but it's something that you really don't know what's going to happen because Pressy could go you know multiple ways here.
0: Totally agree. And I do think that having Chris Paul around will ultimately be beneficial for Shea's development, if only because I think that he'll be able to at least see what Chris is doing. Maybe not. I don't know if Chris is, like, one of those guys that, like, really takes young guards under his wing necessarily. But I do think that, like, just being around Chris Paul, you probably pick some things up through just, like, osmosis of watching him play. Uh, and, I, yeah, like, I'm just not sure Shea is quite ready yet to be that, like elite level number one distributor. So getting him next to someone like Chris Paul is probably going to be pretty beneficial to his career long-term, but ultimately we do need to see where his ceiling is as a distributor. I think before moving him higher than like the top five picks in this past draft, just because we do know that at least on some level, those guys are either super high level shot creators on their own or even, like, DeAndre Ayton, like, is good at creating his own shot. Or, like, Jaron Jackson, who has Defensive Player of the Year potential.
1: Yeah, I get the, the argument for Shea. He's a brilliant basketball player as far as basketball in mind. He's very, very high IQ as a passer. Really... He's beyond his years as far as his ability to see the floor. There's no question about that. And, you know, I think the thing I underrated the most with Shea is how he wins kind of like guard Siakam in that yeah. he just absolutely runs through guys. He's so much more physical than I expected. And he really utilizes that strength with shoulder dips and, like, extensions to where he'll legit beat guys that are guard size. Like, I don't know if there's a lot of guys... like The stronger guards can handle him, and he'll have to shoot over the top, and that's kind of why I don't like his shot quality enough is he doesn't take yeah. basically any pull-up... Threes, but he can get to his spots in the mid-range, and then against those smaller guards, he can kind of get to the rim and extend. Very crafty as far as ball handler. Not the tightest handle, but like he has these hesitation moves where he just really finds openings at a high level. So there's a lot of subtlety to his game. I just want to see if he can handle and like run an offense. Like I don't think he could have done what Trey Young did last year as far as be this dynamic like pick and roll, you know, one five shoot threes off the dribble, kind of pass all over the floor because you have that self scoring gravity. Like Shea guys are gonna they're gonna duck under screens more. Or they're gonna make him shoot longer twos i just want to see it
0: yeah no i totally agree with that and and like the pull-up game like you said is going to be a really interesting part of Shea's development just to see where that all goes uh kentucky did a pretty good job i think fixing Shea's shot uh coming out of high school because he was i don't want to say he was a non-shooter but he was certainly like not a guy who could ever get to a pull-up shot coming into kentucky and you know he's at least somewhat capable there now it's just interesting like will he be a guy that ends up profiling as a high level elite role player much in the same way that we saw him play this year or a guy that can be a dynamic shot creator and you know i think both of those avenues are still potential outcomes it's just that one is a lot more valuable than the other
1: Yeah, and I think I would lean towards the latter, even though I think if he's going to win as a dynamic on-ball creator, it's going to be about getting to the rim and adding in more strength. I think when you see him against guards, he can do that. But when you put a bigger wing on him, I think that's where he's going to struggle the most, is when you get that size where he can't just utilize his tools and that's something that teams are going to do in the playoffs like you're a focal point you're not going to be guarded by point guards all the time teams are going to mix that up like Portland did to Jamal Murray last year putting like Harkless on him for example like that's where I want to see Shea in those self-creation situations but there's a lot to work with here again the the physicality is probably the thing I underrated the most of any prospect in this class as far as just his ability to drop his shoulder and like his willingness to do that consistently is not something I saw at Kentucky at a high level and that's something that you know I built into my draft calculation now as far as just you know betting on guys with physical tools with coordination and that can really extend because she's his kind of awkwardness and finishing at different angles he can like finish these left-handed scoop shots they're really impressive he did he did that in college and I saw that, so I factored that in. It was more just the strength and like the physical tool advantage at the point guard spot. That's been that was the most impressive part of his game to me his rookie year. But this guy is touch. Like he I think he can make an open catch and shoot three, but he needs time and space right now. He's not someone like the Warriors were leaving him open in the playoffs. And he was making him at a, a reasonable rate. But he's not someone who's gonna take a dynamic pull up shot over a contest or like shoot over like a really long closeout, for example, that you're really in his face.
0: Well, he's super skinny, but he still has a lot of core strength. I think that that might be like one of the things that is difficult to evaluate a lot of the time, but ultimately plays like an incredibly critical role in evaluating players. It's just like, can this guy maintain balance whenever he is contacted, Uh, even despite being skinny or not being skinny? And Shea can really do that. Like, Shea has that ability to maintain his balance and then uh, absorb contact and move fluidly afterward. It's a tough skill, and that is something that I think is really going to uh, pay dividends for him long term.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's exactly right. I think that's the avenue of his game. That's how he's going to win. I think his contact finishing around the basket, he can get to the basket and he can finish at a high level. I think that kind of, it's an unorthodox kind of player that we're used to, much in the way that Siakam is kind of unorthodox, but people that can win that way, I think it's just an avenue to value that sometimes goes underrated.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Let's move on to 18 and 17. I'll pair these two together as well. Uh, RJ Barrett and Ja Morant. I had John Moran at number two on my board. I had R.J. Barrett at number three on my board. I think that this goes to show as much as anything because last year, uh, I think I had five or six rookies on the list. Uh, this year, I've got three on the list, and only one of them is in the top 16. Uh, th- this rookie class is just not quite as strong as what we've seen in the past in terms of depth uh, through the lottery. Now, I think that there's a chance that we get some interesting role players that step up that were selected in the second round, but uh, to to have these two guys come in at 17 and 18, I think does show that uh, this draft is going to be more of a wait and see draft than anything.
1: Absolutely. And it always was that as far as stealing ability, like Brian Clark would probably be in my honorable mention at the very end. I'm just higher on him, but I can understand a lot of people wouldn't have that. And even I would say some, a lot of people wouldn't have RJ this high, even though, Like, I think it's defensible. You've always been more optimistic on RJ, and this is your list, of course. So it it does speak to the the depth of the class, especially at the top. And we always knew that. The top-end talent in the 2019 draft is just not there.
0: So I guess that we'll start with RJ. I mean, where are you concerned with RJ?
1: How much time do we have in this podcast now?
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, like, we've talked a lot about RJ. You know what I mean? Like, for people who want... Cole's full view on R.J. Barrett like you can go back and listen to past podcasts for sure but where are your significant long-term concern points with R.J. Barrett?
1: I don't think he's ever going to be efficient enough as an on-ball scorer to really man a primary role as far as initiator-wise. And I like him off the ball okay, but he's not a high-level off-the-ball player. He's never been a great catch-and-shoot player. So I, it just boils down succinctly to I don't think he's an initiator or offense. And when you factor in his pedigree and the fact he's going to score, I just don't know if he's ever going to be a core part of a winning team. That's my argument.
0: So... I think a lot of this comes down to, does he become a threat as a pull-up shooter? Like, if he would become a good pull-up shooter, I would imagine that you would think he's probably going to be a really good player, right? I would
1: definitely be more optimistic on it, for sure. As far as both off the dribble threes and then difficult shot making from the mid-range and being like this. Because most of the wings we see his size or the initiators are either like dynamic three-point shooters off the dribble or they're guys who can get to their shot at will in the mid-range and really convert at a high level. And I just don't see either of those outcomes for him.
0: So why, I'll just add, like, I I think that it's a totally valid opinion to have that thought because uh, he wasn't some elite shooter in college, right? But what specifically worries you about his jump shot and its translation? so it's more in the difficult shot
1: making arena like if you duck way under a screen I think he's going to be okay there when he can set his feet like I don't think this guy's a non-shooter like some people do I think he's going to shoot okay I'm talking about more in isolation you're talking about a dynamic wing score can he really get to that step back shot this is something that's very hard he has a lower it's not like a low release point but it's not a high release point either it's not like Kawhi Leonard Clay Thompson who has a two part release like Clay can either shoot lower or he can get his shot higher same thing as CJ McCollum I don't see that diversity from RJ he's more of like top of the forehead guy and and He doesn't have like the size. Like, he's not Paul George at six ten or Kawhi at six, you know, seven with a, a long wingspan. Those kind of shot makers, there are specific skills that they have and specific physical attributes that RJ just doesn't have. I think he's going to have to win as more of a step back guy to create space, and I, that's just a really, really hard shot to get. We're talking about the guys who are great at. All, I mean, Harden's all time, but like Luca is, is the guy that like projects best into that. And that's just such a hard skill, like with balance with power. And RJ's been working on that. We talked about that in the past on podcast. Like he's been trying for two years, and it's just so erratic. Like You'll see like these horrible misses. It's going to be a big work in progress. I just don't see him as that kind of shooter. I, just, I don't know if he's going to be able to win in either of those two areas.
0: So I think that's all very valid. Um, 64th percentile last year, 43 effective field goal percentage as a shooter off the dribble. Most of that, as you said, was of the step-back variety. Like, he is uh, definitely a mid-range shooter, definitely a mid-range step-back shooter right now. That's where he's a lot more comfortable than anything. A lot of the belief that I have in RJ's shot just stems from where it's come from and the growth it's taken over the course of the last, let's say, 24 months now. Uh, RJ was, like, I don't want to say he was a total non-shooter when he was 17 years old, but he was pretty darn close. Like, he was not a guy that you could trust to get to a pull-up jump shot at all and knock it down with consistency. Uh, The fact that he took even 100 pull-up shots last year in 38 games is pretty... Startling to me like it actually is like impressive that he was able to get to that shot as much as he was let alone make it at like a 43 effective field goal percentage clip especially given how many mid range shots that he takes. Then you throw in the fact that like this guy is known is like a legendary worker like he is a guy that like works his ass off consistently in the gym trying to get better and has that drive and that focus to be better uh, and to reach the ceiling that he can get to it's just kind of a, maybe I'm like just betting on the person. This is like kind of a, like a poker hammer. I'm just like betting on the dude more than the hand, right? Like RJ Barrett's hand of skills is not immense, right? Like he is not a guy that has a ton of shake. He's an advantage scorer. That's six foot seven, uh, 200 pounds and has the ability to basically just drive in, absorb contact and finish with touch, right? Like that's, that's what RJ's game is right now in the half court. If he can add the threat of a jump shot to that, I think it really opens up the straight line driving lanes and makes him like an exceptionally difficult guard in the NBA. It is a bet, though, on the jump shot coming through. And I understand folks that don't have that same faith that I do. You know what I mean? Like It is a bet.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think what you said is you're betting on the person here. And that's why I had RJ in my second tier is cuz I if he wasn't wired like he is, I would be far less interested frankly. But the fact that he is, maybe you can bet on some unforeseen, you know, events happening and him improving in ways maybe we don't expect. But I think the the shot making and the handle go hand in hand. I I started with the shot making just because I don't really buy his shake. Like you said, I think that's his biggest like straight weakness as an athlete. Yeah. It's just he doesn't He's more of a power driver. Like, if you get him downhill, he's a monster but like he's not shifty with the ball either like his, his handles is kind of stiff but even if he had a stiffer handle like I think his handle is good enough where if he was a dynamic pull-up shooter and he had like this really high release so he could just shoot over the top of guys efficiently I think he could still win that way I just don't know if he can win either of those ways like I like him as an advantage scorer a lot I, well, I should say a good amount like if he can attack closeouts use those long strides I really like that that's where he's at his best when you simplify the reads and you give him like an avenue just to attack downhill he's great in transition just like what's the what's the percentage chance that's his role? I, I don't think high. And if you're if he is that role, like you're going to have to bring some kind of defensive value to have really high level impact. And that's again, he's not a good defensive player. I think we can both agree on that.
0: Yeah, no, he's not a good defensive player. Do you think there is a chance for him to become a good defensive player?
1: I think there's a chance for him to become a passable defensive player. I think the size is where you look at it. The strength he can really guard on switches, bigger players. He's going to add value there. As a team defender, I don't even know if I see the requisite foundation for him to ever be very good at it. But I think you're hoping for maybe in a switching scheme, I think he's going to be okay on the ball. And I think that he's going to be able to guard down. So not a, not a guy who you're going to hunt. That's really valuable of him. Is like Nobody's going to be like, oh, let's get RJ on a switch. You know what I
0: mean? So here's an interesting number that I just realized, like, didn't actually know this ahead of, you know, even the draft, to be honest. Uh, The two guys we're going to talk about here and John Morant and RJ Barrett. They're the two guys who scored more points in transition in Division one last year than any other players. What is your (laughs) reaction to that?
1: I'm not that surprised, honestly, like these are guys are right. like, mentality at times like or, I mean, obviously Jaw is a good passer, but like dynamic athletes downhill. Jaws incredibly fast. And then RJ, that speed to power in the open court when he gets momentum is just terrifying.
0: Yeah, like we're... the NBA can be a very uptempo game. And certainly being able to get out in transition is incredibly valuable. And having guys that are either lightning quick twitch like Jai is, or uh, have that ability to get downhill and uh, play at six foot seven in transition like RJ can, that is very valuable. But I do often think that, like, I am less concerned about transition play than half court play. And I think that. Transition play does tend to be how guys get overrated a little bit, just being able to be like a better athlete than everyone else in college and combining like speed and power and quickness and strength uh, better than everyone else can.
1: It's really interesting because I feel like I normally agree with you, and that's how I've approached my rankings over the years. Is I very much favor half court play, just because at the end yeah, of the day, you're gonna have, you you have to score in the half court. Like transitions, great, but I feel like I've gone the opposite way and I've underrated it too much. Like someone like De'Aaron Fox, like his impact in transition for the Kings can't go understated. Like he's not the most efficient right. half court player, and it, I, even by points per possession and synergy, he's not the most efficient transition player. I don't really care about that. Like his ability just to push the ball down the opponent's throat relentlessly, I think has a lot of value. That's something that i have underrated but i do think you know if you just look at you know scoring per game you don't contextualize what you're actually saying if you don't contextualize rj's skill in the half court you just say oh he can score but if a lot of that's coming in transition you're not really identifying the skills that you need to
0: yeah uh let's talk about Jaw now i mean did you you ended up with Jaw number two if i remember correctly right just because of upside i, I did yeah I just, so like, in this class i was like where, where else do you go <laughs> would you have Jaw in this top 25
1: Ooh, that's a great question. I think so. Just based on that idea of if he hits, it's gonna be so valuable. But I, I just think we'll talk about this when we get to guys in the next tier and the next podcast when it comes to assessing assessing primary initiators, the upside and the ceiling and what the threshold is. It's a it's a tough sell as far as him reaching that, but maybe. I gotta go over it.
0: <laughs> so generally I think I agree. I- agree with you that he is an upside bet as much as anything, because if you get a guy who can be an elite level creator as a lead guard, it is just super valuable. Like unquestionably. Uh, I think he's probably going to be an upper half starting point guard. It's just whether or not he hits that like super duper nuclear level where, uh, Like you've said with De'Aaron Fox, I think honestly, like Ja Morant is kind of a similar athlete and build and uh, the way that he plays in terms of like constant attacking. uh, Very, very similar De'Aaron Fox in that way, just with like super high level passing acumen as well. Whereas like De'Aaron is much more of like a scorer in transition than a passer.
1: Yeah, I think Jaws that was as a prospect, he was definitely a much better passer, and then like a, a much splashier player. Like just having context now to evaluate De'Aaron Fox, I was I was not very good at this in 2017, but just comparing him to Morant, I think that De'Aaron, like we'll talk about this with him when we get to him, but like from a speed standpoint, he's unparalleled. Like he, his, his speed with the ball yeah. is like he's probably the fastest player in the league. But his body control and ability to jump off one, I think he's a much better one foot leaper than Jaws. Jaws is incredibly explosive off totally two agree. when he can kind of. But, like, De'Aaron's body control is something that I tremendously underrated. Um, it's gotten better with strength addition, of course. Like, he wasn't nearly as good as Ricky Year, But I, I think that element of the comparison is not, you know, talked about enough. And, like, De'Aaron, I think, is just a special, special athlete. And I think you can argue Morant is too, but not to the extent functionally as a lead guard, especially as a one-foot leaper.
0: Yeah. Uh, you you were a big Dennis Smith guy. I was. <laughs> we'll talk about we'll talk about deer and later but yeah uh, that was a unfortunate miss by everyone involved with dennis unfortunately um maybe he figures it out i feel like dennis maybe has gotten a little bit maybe we've gone a little too far on dennis the other way but uh there, there's a lot there that he really needs to improve upon but with ja I agree with you that it's just like the little skills on the margins that worry me. It's the fact that it takes him so long to get into his pull up shot. Like he knocked down shots at like an average clip this year from three, but it was all those, uh, shots where teams would go way under on ball screens and he would like really set his feet and then knock down a shot, uh, or coming up from the wing off the catch and knocking down a shot from three is something that he would do a little bit more regularly as a freshman, but still, uh, Had that role occasionally in the half court as a sophomore during his breakout season as well. Um, The ability to leap off a one foot versus two, the ability to finish at the basket. De'Aaron was an exceptional finisher at the basket coming into the draft. Ja Morant is not necessarily that, just because I think De'Aaron is a lot more wiry strong than Ja is. De'Aaron's a little bit longer than Ja is, if I remember correctly, as well.
1: Yeah, those are all important points. I think the main point is the off-the-dribble shot making. Can Jaw not in pick-and-roll as far as drop coverage or when he sag off, I think when he sets his feet, he's fine. His touch is actually pretty good. You can see that from the foul line. You can see that from open shots off. I think he's going to play better off the ball than people think. Like He he's, he doesn't have to have the ball all the time. I think he can spot up and hit a catch-and-shoot three. And he's actually pretty good at attacking closeouts. That's something that he showed more of his freshman year. That's not where my concern points lie. My Mine is more, can he get to his pull-up in isolation? Can he shoot over the top of guys and make different difficult shots with footwork like sidestep threes that we see these elite point guards doing and then can he finish over length and of course the florida state game was somewhat illustrative here as far as against nba size and athletes he was like three of 15 from two point range and you force him to make those intermediate shots he's not good at forward momentum shots and that's a lot of what you have to do at the nba levels you're attacking downhill that's something that trey young something i actually did get right was like his for everything with trey forward momentum is excellent like his balance and pull-ups his floater touch he can shoot those shots and, and convert that way Jaw, it's much more he has to, like, stop and, like, set his feet. And he, he's okay at step-backs. But, like, again, low release point, how functional is that going to be? But I think the concerns are, are easily his scoring efficiency. I think, obviously, he has the passing acumen door. If he ever becomes a dynamic scorer, he, he easily has the passing satisfied.
0: All right, Cole. We're through 17. <laughs> 17, John Morant, 18, RJ Barrett, 19, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, 20, Lonzo Ball, 21, Brandon Ingram, 22, Jalen Brown, 23, Wendell Carter, 24, Kevin Herter, 25, Bam Adebayo, any thoughts now that we've gone through nine of these guys?
1: Yeah, I think this is a pretty solid list. Honestly, like I, I don't have a lot of objections, and for me personally, I got to like four, and I was like, "Well, shit!" <laughs> like, I have a tier of like you know eight or nine guys. A lot of this is projection based, and I think I, we did a good job of kind of illustrating and highlighting that element of as far as looking forward, what these guys need to show, and they could go a lot of different ways. Like, you could make the argument easily that it's very flat in this seventeen to you know twenty five thirty range. It kind of depends on yeah, for who sure. develops what skills.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, th- this was a tough part to put together. Once I feel like I had sixteen guys that like I knew for a fact I needed on this list. The rest of the guys, I was like, probably need them for the higher end guys, but could take or leave them once we got beyond like twenty two. Still, uh, I think that you know it wasn't wasn't a disaster. That this was this was a fun thing to put together. It's fun to talk through these guys. Uh, Please go rate, review, and subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Google Play, Android, whatever podcasting, Spotify, whatever app you use to listen to the podcast. Please uh, continue to do that because it is, uh, you know, very beneficial to the podcast. Uh, Let's go ahead and read a review real quick. Trying to think think if we've read this or not, no, we have not read this one. This is a new one here. Uh, this show should be renamed the game three podcast with Sam Vecini and Cole's wicker featuring Dieter, because let's be honest, this is as much Cole's podcast as Sam's good for you, Cole. I love it. Uh, honestly, <laughs> what else can I learn about the NBA college basketball, Australian football, Sam's new top movie power rankings and hot takes on game of Thrones, the history of the curtain Bach height, Cole's adoration of guys with skinny ankles, Sam's cats taking a nap on his computer during the podcast and everything else going on in Sam's life all in one podcast. Overall, it's a great listen and I love learning about how people in the NBA evaluate talent and how that works into team building and beyond. I've been listening for a few years now. And while I never played competitive basketball, uh, I feel so much more knowledgeable about the game in the past few years. Keep up the amazing work. Shout out to you, PFARV Jr., uh, that was a great review. That was that was a high end review. wasn't the funniest one, but there there were some good comedic <laughs> moments there.
1: I would say my only objection is this is definitely not as much my podcast as yours. This is your <laughs> podcast. I kind of hop on, you know, with relative consistency. Just happy to be a part of it. It's uh, that that was that was good though.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with that one. Uh, Cole, do you have anything that you want the people to catch up on here?
1: no i think i've shouted out all the pieces that i've read i wrote a like i said in this podcast a piece on wendell carter for the step i wrote a piece on trey Mann, who's one of my favorite sleepers in this class 2020 um draft potential candidate probably 2021 likely um plays uh, point guard back of point guard for florida you can read those two at the step and uh, continue to listen to this podcast especially with the part two installment of this
0: thank you all for listening we really appreciate it until next time though we'll talk soon Bye.